We're going to start uh, this morning with the, uh, a look at the first beatitude from Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 3. But before I read that, uh, let me pray, and then we'll dive into that text uh, this morning. Lord Jesus, um, you looked at the crowd, and you loved them, and you taught them. Would you look at us and see us and love us? And teach us this morning. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew 5, 3, uh, the text is in the bulletin, also up on uh, the screens behind me. Uh, This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let me ask you a question uh, as we begin this morning. Uh, How much time and energy have you spent in the last week making sure that you are as comfortable and life is as convenient and pain-free and difficult as possible? That's not bad. It's okay. That's that's what we do, right? Uh, So let me ask you this. In your efforts to make yourself as comfortable, pain-free, uh, convenient and life as easy as possible. When that didn't happen, uh, how bitter, angry, discouraged, despairing were you? Right? Um, I love convenience. Um, and you know, it's funny, right? We call we call Seven Elevens and places like that, convenience stores, but I want the world to be my convenience store. You know, I want, I want everything to be convenient all the time and easy. Um, so, if Jesus looks at us and sees us for who we are and tells us that the fortunate people in the world are people who are poor in spirit, needy, broken, weak, then how does that square with where we spend most of our time and energy? It's a great question, and I think it's something that's uh, important for us to understand today because because the fact of the matter is the world is a hard place. Life is difficult. It is challenging. And so what Jesus is getting at here by, call, by saying to us that the poor in spirit are indeed the, the, the blessed ones, the fortunate ones, he is telling us something that we really don't want to hear. In, in the sense that what I would rather believe is that once I get Jesus or when I come to Jesus, that, that what that means is, is that everything will become convenient, comfortable, and easy. And that the kingdom of God, that real blessing, is found in my comfort and my convenience, not in something else. And so as we look at that this morning, I think that's that's important for us to to grapple with. And, um, you know, one of the things that I think is uh, so dramatic about this, and one of the ways you can begin to unpack this for yourself is, uh, if you're a parent this morning... I know that you probably spend a lot of time and energy in your life uh, trying to protect your children and trying to keep your children from difficulty. 
from pain, from suffering. That's what you want to do, right? You don't want your kids to have a hard time. So you're going to kill yourself to make sure that that doesn't happen. So, so that what you're training your children to believe, one is that the world is a place where there's no pain and difficulty. <laughs> so they're going to be shocked when that, when that comes to them. But secondly, you're also training them that the value in life is the avoidance of suffering and hardship. Now, I don't want my kids to suffer. I don't want them to have any difficulties. But I do know this, that um, the, the, the truth is they learn so much. We all learn so much when we come to grips with the suffering and the difficulty that comes our way, which is God telling us that every single human being, everyone, every single person is already poor in spirit. Did you know that? And so we're going to unpack that a little bit more, but I want you to, I want you to come to grips with that right, uh, right off the bat. Now, now, what Jesus is going to get at here before you uh, get up in arms about what I've said there <laughs> is that the issue is whether you see it and how you deal with your poverty of spirit. Jesus looked at the crowd. He saw people who were, Luke, you can go put my notes up there, beleaguered and challenged. And he had words of grace and words of invitation to us today. So as you look at this text, you know, verse 3 begins, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then at the end, verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what he, what he says here is he brackets the, the, uh, the, the Beatitudes with these promises and these invitations that when these hard things come your way, as you turn to me, as you see me, and as I see you, as you embrace your poverty and therefore my riches, you're fortunate. You are the fortunate ones. You are the ones who are blessed. You are the ones who are changed. You're, there is something here for you, and it is the very kingdom of heaven. It is the very recognition that you are God's own, that he loves you, and that his rule and his life and his death and his resurrection and his coming again is for you. But that will be meaningless to us and will have no kind of uh, reality uh, in our lives if we believe a couple of lies. Um, one is that, uh, um, actually, I'm not poor. Actually, I've got it together. Or I bury my poverty and I hide my brokenness without bringing it out into the open and taking it to Jesus. Or I manage it by... Uh, uh, any number of ways that might prove, you know, good managers of my brokenness. So Jesus is saying something to us today, and he's inviting us into something that is uh, rich with grace and love. Next, next slide. Uh, the Beatitudes begin with an assurance, right, that, uh, uh, and end with assurance that for us, people who are despised, people who are broken, people who are poor— they have the assurance that the kingdom is there. So Jesus is saying, while there's much, uh, there may be much about you and me that might make us sad or angry, 
Bitterness and despair are not what he desires for us, and certainly not hopelessness. That, in fact, the hard things that come our way, the reality of living in a fallen world and coming to grips with that and actually coming to the very end of our rope is the means whereby he speaks to us these words of, insti- of invitation and these words of grace to turn us towards him, to invite us into his life, to invite our brokenness and our sin and our difficulty into his righteousness. You see, that's, that's the way this works. And I want to say something at the very beginning here to all of you who are already Christians. To all of you who have already been Christians for a long time, don't believe the lie that you were poor in spirit once when you came to faith in Christ and you recognized your poverty of spirit, and that's when you repented of your sin and you turned to him. But all of your Christian life since then has been working your way out of poverty of spirit. Right? That's the way we tend to think about it, right? That, that we think, okay, once I come to faith in Christ, what I do is now I get my act together and I become more and more self-sufficient because Jesus has saved me. Now, you know, he's given me a couple of tools. I will turn away from grappling with my own poverty of spirit. And now I got it together. I got the answers. I got myself, you know, I've got Jesus. I'm better than the the other people out there who don't have that. And so I don't have poverty of spirit. They do. Right? Remember, as Jesus preaches this, he's preaching to the crowd, and who knows who's in the crowd. But he's also looking at his very own disciples as he delivers this message to them. Right? So... Uh, what I wanted you to see here is that there's plenty to challenge us in the Beatitudes. I think the overarching thing Jesus is doing is looking into the faces around him, the poor, the beleaguered, and challenged, and giving them hope that the kingdom belongs to them. Now, let me just be clear about this, right? So the, the, the fact is that for most of us, and for many of us, the, the embracing poverty of spirit, embracing any kind of poverty seems stupid. It seems counterintuitive. It seems like, why in the world would you do that? That the, the smart way, the smart money is invested in being strong, in being rich, in being uh, gifted and together and having a great reputation and finding my own way in the world. In fact, we even bend that so that we take what the gospel is, that is a message of grace to sinners, a message of mercy to the guilty, and we turn that into some sort of self-righteousness whereby poverty of spirit is no longer ours. But what Jesus recognizes is, is that the pathway to the kingdom, the pathway to joy, the pathway to experiencing the rule and the love and the grace of God is by seeing what is and turning to him in what is and, and receiving from him what he has lived, died, risen again, and now ascended into heaven to give to us. Next slide, Luke. So what, what you have to see is that every one of us is poor. Now, every one of us recognizes, uh, even, even those of you who are not Christians this morning, know this about yourself. You will say, when you get caught doing something wrong, when you get caught in a lie or gossiping or or whatever it is your particular thing you might get caught in, what do you say? I'm only human. I'm 
only human. That's a recognition that human beings do things that are wrong, right? Even, even, we all recognize, I'm, I'm only human. Yes, yes, that's true. And so by being human, what you're saying there is, there are things that I don't do right. There are things that I miss. There are omissions, sins of omission, sins of commission, all of those things. But we're all like that, so it's not that big of a deal. We just kind of excuse it. So what happens, to, what, what happens there is that there's an admission of poverty of spirit, but there's no, when we, when we admit that, the, the Lord's solution to that is to take our unrighteousness, to take our brokenness, and entrust ourselves to him because he has achieved for us what we couldn't achieve for ourselves. But there's more than that. Poverty of spirit is more than just coming to grips with kind of the forensic nature of the fact that our sin has separated us from God. It's also true that poverty of spirit means that I'm going to die. When Jesus looked at the crowd as he sat on, on, on the mountain, everyone around him was going to die. Poverty of spirit begins with recognizing our brokenness, but it also begins with recognizing that we are finite creatures who are fragile and broken. And one day, there will be people on this planet who won't remember us. That, that now, now, for a lot of us, we hear that and we're like, oh, that is terrible. Well, it is terrible if you are thrown back on your own means and your own ways of having to, to address that. But you see, what Jesus says is that here, your spiritual poverty, your recognition that you are broken spiritually, but you're also broken in terms of, of, of death, that he addresses that. And so rather than try to come up with our own ways, our own ways of covering our sin or our own ways of covering our mortality or our, our boasting in, in, in our power and our strength and our riches and our wealth and our achievements, what he's saying is, no, you, what you do is you boast in what Jesus, what he has lived, died to give us, right? But it's not only that, not only that, uh, that we're sinners, not only that we are mortal, but we are broken. And that brokenness manifests itself in so many ways. Poverty of spirit is true of every human being because you, all you have to do, you don't have to go very far or look very, very hard to see that human beings are full of shame. That from our very first parents, when they went and hid and they, they sewed fig leaves together to cover up their nakedness that was the result of their sin, we do the same thing. It doesn't take much to, for people to, when confronted with their brokenness, with their sin, with their failures, with their deficits, to try to mask that. And what Jesus says is, no, you know, what the, the fact is, those things are true of you. Don't cover them up. Turn to him. Confess them. Repent and look at him and entrust yourself to him. We're broken internally. We think Primarily, first and foremost, about ourselves. We are, we are um, uh, 
enamored with ourselves. We're so enamored with ourselves that we think everyone else is thinking about us first. Isn't that funny? How ironic, right? That, that, that I, I, I am so uh, into myself that I think you are too. And that when I walk around, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm so aware that you're so aware of me, right? <laughs> Anybody like that? No? Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah. It happens that so much so that, that, that this is, that, I mean, it just, it just manifests itself so readily in, in our lives. We're always about achieving and showing off and making sure people know how smart we are or, or how gifted we are or, or who we know or those sorts of things. Those are manifestations to us of our sin and our brokenness and, our, and, and the fact that we have to do that demonstrates our poverty of spirit. So when we embrace Yes, those things are true about me, but Jesus sees me and he loves me and he is for me. That, that begins to take the poverty of spirit that is all of ours and see the mercy of God, the grace of God. Use that to make us something beautiful. So we're broken internally, but we're also broken externally. It manifests itself all over the place. Poverty of spirit runs rampant when you get a bunch of individuals together who are poor in spirit. You see it in our culture. You see it in our world all over the place. I mean, we live in a world where the well-being and the flourishing of a mother is pitted against the life of her child. Both of those things matter. Both of those things are important, but what do we do as, as a culture and as, as a, a, a way of our, to uh, eradicate that brokenness we don't recognize that for what it is. What a terrible tragedy it is that we live and that we are able, as the kind of people that we are, to pit those two things against each other. They shouldn't be pitted against each other. We live in a day and age where, you know, we, we think, we hear a lot about oppression. And, and we don't want to hear a lot about that because that makes us uncomfortable. But the Bible's full of oppression. The Bible recognizes that one of the ways we address our poverty of spirit is we oppress others, right? And so it, it's, something that, it, it, it's something that happens all the time. I, I'll never forget the first time somebody called me an oppressor. Uh, you know, that's pretty memorable. Uh, you know, that's not... Thankfully, it's not something that happens all the time, but it does, it does happen occasionally. It was someone who worked for me. And they'd been to counseling, and their counselor told them, you know, the reason why you, you work so well for Steve is because you want to be oppressed, and Steve's an oppressor. That's awesome, man. <laughs> There's... So, so ample opportunity to, uh, um, yeah, to come to grips with my poverty of, of spirit, right? So, the, so the, the reality is what, what Jesus begins, his words of grace to us is, is you know, we're, we're in this mess and it has affected all of us. And in the end, it will be our undoing. But Jesus says when you recognize that and you see that and you embrace that so that you can embrace 
His grace, His mercy, His sacrifice, His atonement, that recognition of your brokenness and your poverty becomes the pathway to a deeper joy, a deeper understanding of who God is and who He has made you to be and who is He is redeeming you to be. So, we read at the beginning of the service, Psalm 34, keep flipping through Luke, um, and we read the first six verses. I, I think to, to help you come to grips with this, I think looking at the whole of Psalm 34 would be, a, would be a helpful thing for us, right? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions, lions, who are not terribly poor, right, suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may say good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. You see, that's the recognition there is, is that we live in a world that, that is uh, terribly broken and that we need refuge. And the only refuge that is sure and certain and grace-filled and full of mercy for people like us is the refuge of Jesus Christ. That's where we keep turning. Next slide, please, Luke. And so you may be thinking, well, who among us, uh, who, does, who qualifies for this? How, how does this work itself out? Well, John Stott says this, In our Lord's own day, it was not the Pharisee who entered the kingdom who thought they were rich, so rich in merit, that they thanked God for their accomplishments. Nor the zealots who dreamed of establishing the kingdom by blood and sword. And, you know, there are plenty of Pharisees in the church. You already know who you are. Uh, you might read the zealot and think, I'm establishing the kingdom by blood and sword. Well, that's not me. But just read that as the person who wants to establish the kingdom uh, of poverty of spirit through power. The world's power. So who is it but tax collectors and prostitutes, the rejects of human society, who knew they were so poor they could offer nothing and achieve nothing. All they could do was cry to God for mercy, and he heard their cry. Keep on doing that. Don't stop. You will never get to a place in your life as a follower of Christ where the need for mercy, the need for grace, 
the cry to God ever stops. If you're not crying out to God for mercy and you're not repenting and you're not seeing regularly your poverty of spirit, something's wrong. Something's wrong. So how will you know, next slide, Luke, how will you know that you've embraced your poverty? Well, one of the ways you'll know you've embraced your poverty is when it happens to you, when it breaks into your world and you get sick or you get poor or you lose. That's how you'll know. Not that you can't grieve those things, but if you find yourself, life is no longer worth anything to me. I, I am despairing because of these things have been removed from me or because I'm, I'm struggling with these things. And you don't see that this is a pathway. This is the cry of God to you to turn to him and to ask for mercy and grace and help and strength. There's an indicator of how you're doing with your poverty of spirit. Another way to, to look at that is, do you view your poverty of spirit as something that you've mastered, but you look about you and you see all the others who are pridefully not embracing their uh, poverty of spirit, and it makes you feel richer than them? Secondly, who's discipling you, right? Who is telling you that the pathway to greatness in the kingdom of God is by embracing and coming to grips with confessing and repenting of your sin. Who's discipling you? Because if someone is telling you that the pathway to uh, greatness in the kingdom of God, the pathway to inheriting the kingdom of God is by exercising power, by exercising, um, you know, lording it over people, or by constantly going about and judging your enemies and finding them wanting, if that is your way, then you're being discipled by the wrong thing. You're being discipled by the wrong sources of information. There are lots of sources of information for this congregation that disciple us. One, one is our corporate trainers, right? They tell us how to be, and they tell us how to think, right? The other uh, source of much of our uh, discipling comes from the internet, and wow, there's some winners there. <laughs> and suffice that to say, some of you are probably reading something wacky right now, even as I'm preaching to you. And then, of course, there's the media, which I think is so funny because when I was growing up, we had Walter Cronkite 30 minutes a day. We had David Brinkley and Chet Huntley 30 minutes a day and John Chancellor 30 minutes a day. That was it. That was it. Now we've got a wall-to-wall outrage machine. Whichever one, which, you want to be outraged on the left? You got that. You want to be outraged on the right? You got that? Let's be outraged, right? Rather than seeing the, the, the truth of the matter is that all of us are broken, all of us are sinners, and all of us need to be discipled into recognizing this poverty of spirit that would lead us to repentance instead of anger, bitterness, and despair. If you want to know how you're doing with poverty of spirit, how are you loving your enemies? 
And then last, last uh, question is, into what kind of person are you being discipled? Are you being discipled into a person whose strength and trust and life comes from someone else? Or does it come from you and your own wits and your own gifts and your own reputation and ability? What Jesus says at the very outset of his message is, listen, you are dying, sinful, alienated, and ashamed. What are you going to do about that? The pathway to the kingdom of God is through his cross, through his life, through his righteousness, and entrusting ourselves to him. Every day. Not just once, but every day. Let's pray. Lord, we need a sense of this today. I, I pray that you would help us, um, that you would look at us, that you would do the work in us that only you can do. Lord, we, uh, we um, don't like our weakness. We don't like the fact that poverty of spirit is so attractive to you because we find it humiliating and difficult. We find it challenging and um, yeah, just something we would repudiate. Lord, I pray today for those to whom you have brought poverty of spirit clearly before them through their suffering, through their broken relationships, through their sin and their shame, how that you would cause them to turn to you and to embrace uh, your uh, work, your riches, your kingdom, and the fact that you um, love broken sinners like us. Lord, help us to be bold in repenting and help us to be quick to receive your grace. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So let's uh, confess our sins by using, actually, the, the uh, Beatitudes. Uh, that uh, confession is printed in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you offered us all your blessings when you proclaimed, blessed are the poor in spirit, but we have been rich in pride. Blessed are those who mourn, but we have not known much sorrow for our sin. Blessed are the meek, but we are a stubborn people. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, but we are filled to the full with created things. Blessed are the merciful, but we are harsh and impatient. Blessed are the pure in heart, but our hearts love all the wrong things. Blessed are the peacemakers, but we have not sought reconciliation. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, but our lives do not challenge the world. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. But we have hardly made it known that we are yours, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us.
believers, hear these words of encouragement. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich.